and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. My name is Rich Caparola. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, June 21st through Sunday the 24th feature Ricardo Muti joined by soprano Krasimira Stoyanova, mezzo-soprano Ekaterina Gobanova, tenors Dmitry Korchak and Ania Scala, bass baritone Eric Owens, and the Chicago Symphony Chorus, Dwayne Wolf directing. The program includes Kyrie in D minor by Mozart, Cherubini's Chant sur la mort de Joseph Haydn, and after intermission, Stabat Mater by Rossini. Here are Philip Huscher's program notes on the Luigi Cherubini Chant sur la mort de Joseph Haydn, the performance time around 22 minutes. Early in 1805, news of Joseph Haydn's death swept through Paris. A memorial performance of Mozart's Requiem was planned for February. For the same concert, the French Masonic Lodge commissioned Luigi Cherubini, then a formidable presence in the French music capital, to write a funeral cantata for Haydn. Like Cherubini, he was a Freemason, and Cherubini picked commonplace verses by another Mason, Louis Grammont de Saint-Victor, about a dying swan on the banks of the Danube River, and set to work writing a memorial tribute to a composer for whom he had great, nearly unparalleled admiration, a Chant sur la mort de Joseph Haydn, a dirge on the death of Joseph Haydn, a swan song on Haydn's death. Sitting comfortably at his home in the quiet village of Gumpendorf, just west of central Vienna, Haydn read his obituaries that winter with characteristic bemusement. If only he had known sooner, he is reported to have said, he would have made plans to travel to Paris to conduct the Requiem himself. He shot off a note to the English publisher, George Thompson, who had helped spread the rumor, just to prove, as he put it, that he was still of this base world. The memorial service in Paris was hastily cancelled. Cherubini put his memorial piece back in the drawer, although he would in fact have reason to unveil it just four years later. Haydn had last appeared on the podium in December 1803 to conduct his seven last words of Our Savior on the cross. Since then, he had stayed put in Gumpfendorf. He continued to keep abreast of all the developments in the music world where he had once reigned alongside his friend Mozart and the upstart and former student Beethoven. In 1805, according to Haydn's biographer, Albert Christoph Dies, Haydn spoke enthusiastically of a new wave of composers from Italy. Several of the Italians have rebelled against the common shop-worn ways of their country. They move with ease as the need arises in all spheres of harmony, as, for instance, Cherubini. Cherubini and Haydn met in June 1805 when Cherubini traveled to Vienna to oversee a series of concerts of his music. He presented Haydn with a diploma and a medal from the Paris Conservatory, and Haydn gave Cherubini the manuscript of his drumroll symphony, the one known as Symphony 103. When Georg August Greisinger wrote his biography of Haydn based on the careful notes he took following his many conversations with the composer, he claimed that Haydn said to Cherubini at the time, Let me call myself your musical father and you my son. While Cherubini was in Vienna, he accepted a commission to compose an opera for the Viennese stage. When Faniska was produced there the following year, both Beethoven and Haydn were in the audience and spoke glowingly of the work. 
born four years after Mozart and destined to outlive Haydn by nearly 33 years, Cherubini was a name to be reckoned with for a good half-century. His life began in Florence, where, as the son of a professional keyboard player, he started lessons at the age of six and rigorous training in counterpoint two years later. His earliest compositions included masses and other liturgical works, and then, at the age of 20, his first operas. That form proved to be his calling card, and he enjoyed success with both serious and comic operas in Italy and in London before moving to Paris in 1786, where he lived for much of his life. In Paris, his career flourished. He had a string of hits, including Loditska in 1791 and Mede in 1797. Decades later, Brahms still singled it out as the work we musicians recognize among ourselves as the highest peak of dramatic music. In the first years of the 19th century, when Beethoven decided to write an opera, Cherubini's works were his obvious models. To put Cherubini's stature in perspective today, we need only to remember the remarkable fact that Beethoven frequently said that Cherubini was the greatest composer among all his contemporaries. Cherubini's premature funeral tribute to Haydn is a triumph of genuine artistry over fake news. The pre-existing text is an allegory based on the legend of the Swan Song, in which a mute swan suddenly sings just before his death. Cherubini begins with a slow orchestral introduction as powerful and dramatic as any of the famous introductions to Haydn's own symphonies. From this music alone, you can sense both the daring and boldness of Cherubini's talent as well as the depth of his admiration for Haydn. He has learned greatly from Haydn's mastery of economy and simplicity of gesture. Cherubini opens with the plainest of materials, horns alone in somber chords, solo winds in rising arpeggios, cellos subdivided into four lines of counterpoint in a lament that slowly begin to coalesce and build. The music is spare and muscular, and the great surging climax of rising chords is as profoundly moving as anything in music at the time. The solo voices, a soprano and two tenors, then enter, singing separately at first in a wonderfully fluid music that moves freely between recitative and aria, all of it richly accompanied by orchestra, and then together in an expansive and uplifting final trio. Music rises from the earth, Cherubini's text tells us, to delight the children of heaven. Haydn signed the last version of his will on February 7, 1809. He died that May. In June, a memorial service was held with a performance of Mozart's Requiem. It was only then that Cherubini authorized his Chant sur la mort de Joseph Haydn to be performed at last. A postscript. Cherubini's contemporaries would never have guessed that as Haydn's reputation grew over the following decades, Cherubini's would fall precipitously. Today, our knowledge of Cherubini's music rests on no more than a handful of works, including the C minor Requiem that Riccardo Muti conducted here in 2012. As countless earlier composers would attest, this is our loss. It was Robert Schumann possibly anticipating the day when people would no longer know Cherubini's music in any depth, who said, the more we come to understand him, the more we come to respect him. 
Notes by Philip Husher on Luigi Carabini's Chant sur le mort de Joseph Haydn. And now on to Rossini's Stabat Mater, a work lasting about 62 minutes. When William Tell opened in Paris in August 1829, Rossini was the most famous composer in the world. During the last 12 years, Stendhal wrote in 1824, there is no man who has been more frequently the subject of conversation from Moscow to Naples, from London to Vienna, from Paris to Calcutta. His glory already knows no other bounds than those of civilization itself, and yet he is barely 32. Rossini's heyday began in the second decade of the 19th century when he turned out a rapid-fire string of comic operas that has never been matched. The Italian Girl in Algiers in 1813, The Turk in Italy the following year, The Barber of Seville in 1816, and Cenerentola, Cinderella, in the first half of 1817. And starting with Tancredi, which was premiered in 1813, Rossini began to concentrate on writing serious operas as well, many of them for the great dramatic soprano Isabella Cobran, who was at that time his mistress and who would become his wife in 1822. Together, they visited Venice that year, and there he wrote the last of his Italian serious operas, Semiramide, a final triumph in Italy before he moved to Paris in 1824, seeking greater fame and fortune, both of which he easily accomplished. William Tell, the first work he composed for the Paris opera, is a masterpiece of visionary writing. It is vast imposing, and richly beautiful. It was extravagantly praised at the time. From that evening, the critic for Le Globe wrote after the premiere, dates a new era, not only for French music, but also for dramatic music in all countries. But from Rossini, silence followed. He and his wife went to Bologna to take a long holiday. His next opera for Paris wasn't scheduled to be premiered until 1831. For a while, he considered Goethe's Faust as his subject, but nothing came of it. What no one realized at the time was that he would never write another opera. At the age of 37, he essentially retired from a world where he reigned supreme. Over the next four decades, the most popular creation associated with his name was not an opera, but... Tornados Rossini, the culinary concoction which, as Julia Child said, takes the filet steak about as far as it can go. A perfectly cooked steak, placed atop an artichoke bottom, is layered with a warm Madeira-basted slab of foie gras and fresh truffle slices. Rossini's retirement, begun so early in his long life, is still unequaled in the history of music. Much later, after the shock of his withdrawal had faded, letters and the reports from Rossini's friends confirmed that he had been thinking of ending his career as a theatrical composer, even while he was writing William Tell. Before the opera's premiere, he negotiated an arrangement with the French government that assured him a lifetime annuity regardless of his activity, although he did agree in principle to write at least four more operas for the Paris Opera and even threatened to cancel the William Tell premiere if the agreement could not be finalized. After the Revolution of 1830 overthrew the government of Charles X, canceling his pension, Rossini stayed in Paris fighting for its reinstatement and supporting a new generation of Italian opera composers, including Bellini and Donizetti. But his own opera career was over.
Rossini never talked about it, although in 1860, eight years before his death, he said, I decided that I had something better to do, which was to remain silent. And yet, out of this unforeseen silence, a handful of compositions did emerge. In 1831, Rossini traveled to Spain with his banker friend, Alexander Aguardo. He owned the Chateau Margaux vineyards. They spent 10 days in Madrid, where they were entertained by Fernandos Varela, a state counselor who had long admired Rossini's music and wanted the composer to write something for him. Unexpectedly, Rossini agreed to compose a setting of the Stabat Mater Dolorosa, the 13th century Franciscan poem about the Virgin Mary grieving at the cross of Jesus. It had already been treated by many important composers, including Palestrina, Pergolesi, and both Alessandro and Domenico Scarlatti, and would later attract Liszt, Dvorak, and Verdi. Rossini returned to his writing desk, but he was able to complete only six movements, setting just half of the text before he was derailed by illness. At some point, he asked his friend Giovanni Tadolini, the director of the Théâtre Italien in Paris, to write the remainder of the score, even entrusting him with the choral finale. Rossini sent the work to Varela in March 1832 as entirely his own, asking that it not be sold or published. Varela responded with a gold snuffbox studded with eight diamonds. It was performed in Madrid on Good Friday the following year. After Varela died in 1837, the manuscript for the Stalat Mater was sold at auction. Four years later, it ended up in the hands of the Paris publisher, Alonguier, who printed it and announced a performance that inspired another legal battle, pitting Rossini and his old publisher, Eugène Tropenas, against Alonguier. The composer won. It was then that Rossini disowned the composite score and, under pressure from Tropenas, agreed to finish it himself. In 1832, Rossini had begun with the larger choral and ensemble numbers, including the grave and powerful opening movement of all four soloists and chorus, and he had turned over many of the solo numbers to Tadolini. He now set out to replace Tadolini's work with three new movements of his own, a lyrical aria for tenor, a virtuosic duet for the two female soloists, and a powerful aria for bass, what are now the second, third, and fourth movements. He then provided a stunning new finale, which, like the opening movement, is scored for all his forces. Briefly, just before the end, it returns to the somber music rising in the bassoons and cellos with which the score begins. After a private reading of the parts of the work, with just piano accompaniment in the Paris home of Pierre Zimmermann, a pianist and composer, in October 1841, the new Stabat Mater was first performed at the Théâtre Italien on January 7, 1842, more than a decade after Rossini's last Parisian premiere. The capacity audience was wild with excitement. Three numbers had to be repeated. Rossini's name was shouted over the applause. The score was given its first Italian performance in Bologna that March under Donizetti's baton with the celebrated soprano Clara Novello. In Riccardo Muti's performances this week at the very end of the Sancta Mater Quartet, the soprano sings a simple, eloquent cadenza that Rossini wrote specifically for Novello to perform in Bologna. 
The manuscript of the cadenza, dated March 20, 1842, which belongs to the Accademia Musicale Cigliana in Siena, is inscribed to my beloved Clara Novello as a sign of admiration and gratitude. The Bologna performances of the Stabat Mater were among the greatest successes of Rossini's career. Donizetti came to Bologna directly from another historic success in Milan, where he had just attended the premiere of Nabucco, Verdi's earliest triumph. The enthusiasm is impossible to describe, Donizetti wrote after the Stabat Mater performance. Even at the final rehearsal which Rossini attended, in the middle of the day he was accompanied to his home to the shouting of more than 500 persons, the same thing the first night, under his window. In an important sense, the Stabat Mater picks up where Rossini left his public after the stirring final pages of William Tell, the tantalizing realization that despite his fame as a master of popular entertainments, he had more important and profound things to say. He may have removed himself from the music business, but his creative spark had not dimmed. His musical impulses, so long silenced, had only continued to grow and deepen. The promise of William Tell is answered here with music of surpassing seriousness and originality. The scope and variety of music in the Stabat Mater ranges from highly distinctive arias, one for each soloist, crafted with the skill of one of history's greatest vocal composers, to a remarkable a cappella quartet. Although it is often sung by the soloist, Rossini writes quartetto e sole voci, which indicates simply that it is for voices without orchestra. It can be sung by the four soloists or by the four-part chorus, as it is at this week's performances. Inevitably, as would be the case with Verdi's Requiem more than three decades later, the Stabat Mater was viewed as operatic in the naive belief that music of such luxuriant melody and dramatic power must belong in the theater. But the Stabat Mater inhabits a different sound world from Rossini's earlier works, and there is no precedent in his operas for an aria like the Inflammatus, with its elaborate soprano solo lines soaring in full cry over its thundering choral and orchestral climaxes. There is much in Rossini's score that would not be equaled in expressive depth or sheer dramatic brilliance in the realm of sacred music until Verdi's Requiem, which was originally inspired by Rossini's death in 1868. Portions of the Stabat Mater were performed at Rossini's funeral service at La Trinité in Paris that November, and again when his remains were reburied nine years later alongside the tombs of some of the greatest heroic figures of Italian culture, including Machiavelli, Galileo, and Michelangelo at Santa Croce in Florence. Program notes by Philip Huscher on the Stabat Mater by Rossini. My name is Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.